Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns. This is episode 131, 131. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, you can leave them for us in the comment section of Podbean, or you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com, kbmakel at aol.com. So let's get to it. Uh, first thing is, you know, pain in the Ukraine three. Um, this is going to go on forever. I mean, I say forever, but it's going to go on for a long time. Um, nobody's backing down. Um, there's no diplomatic solution to this that I can see. Um, I don't think the sanctions are going to work because sanctions never work. Um, and, and, you know, there's endless hours and hours of 24-7 um, analysis on all this stuff. And it's about what you want to believe. But the sanctions never work. So I don't really know where this is going to end up. I can tell you that the world, when this is over with, our world will look a bit different. It will look a bit different. And how it's going to look different is if we turn the largest, by territory anyway, a country in the world into an, an outlaw pariah state um, are it's going to be have imp, it's going to have profound impacts on everything um, because of the natural resources the competition for the available resources and all this other stuff so um, you know you don't know what the right answer is and it's way past the time for an answer. I mean, we need to be solving problems diplomatically 20 and maybe even 30 years ago. And it's all come to fruition now, and there's no fix. There's no fixing it. Uh, outside of World War III, there's nothing that's going to make them go back across the border into what we know is Russia proper. And uh, so therefore, I don't know where this is all leading to, but it's, it's absolutely horrible to watch. Um, you know, the destruction, the suffering, uh, just the, the, the thought that two civilized countries are kind of doing this is really, really terrible. In fact, a year ago, I would not have predicted that this would happen. It's a very different situation than what we've seen in, in, uh, in the world usually things are pretty predictable but you know things like desert storm come up uh when when these autocratic leaders without the will or consent of their people but they have the control and the power just start doing things uh, that they think are a good idea then you get this kind of stuff going now and like i said i i think the everybody's focused on the capital but i'm watching the south because that's what that's what Putin really wants is the South and he's going to get to keep it by capturing the capital and leveraging that in some sort of a negotiation afterwards so we'll see what happens but this could go on for months uh, what it really does not need to turn into is an insurgency because we all know how those go those can go for decades so that is the pain in the Ukraine uh, closer to home, it appears that the ATF is moving forward uh, somehow on pistol braces and 
what they call ghost guns, which are gun building kits that have something that is not a firearms receiver but can be made into one. We'll see what happens with all that. I, I personally think they've let the, uh, you know, the horses out of the barn on the pistol stocks. Um, the smartest thing they could do is not even try to enforce SBR regulations at this point. I mean, just, or have a, what I would do is, I would say if you got one of these things, hey, here's a $50 amnesty charge. You go ahead, you register it, you're good to go. And for new ones, you just collect 50 bucks off the top. That's, they'd make some money off that. But I think it's, there's so many of them out there now. It's, it's become part of the culture to make, to try to, without legislation, just to try to regulatorily um, make these things illegal is just going to not work. You know, same thing with bump stocks. Nobody really knows what the what the status of those things are. They're, I guess, notionally illegal, but nobody cares. And of course, the ammunition shortage. Nobody's out there bump firing anyway. And I think most people have come to the conclusion that bump stop bump stocks, not bump stops, bump stocks, were um, were a stupid idea. They were just stupid, and let them, you know, fine. Let them, let them squirrel around with stupid things like like that. Same thing is is a pistol brace. Is the length of a pistol brace really something that you want to <laughs> really want to argue about? I guess they do, but you know, the it's over. We have pistol braces, so that's that's all it is. As far as ghost guns go, I've got something a little bit in a few minutes on that. But you know that that's another made-up term. It's like assault rifle. Um, it's it's a made-up term. Um, in the old days, something that was fabricated at home and usually was pretty crude, they were called zip guns. A zip gun, which was, you know, something you made at home that could actuate a cartridge. And for low-pressure cartridges, you know, 25 ACP, 32 ACP, you know, stuff like that. You know, they could use kind of commonly had things and they were usually single shots as a matter of fact I don't think I've ever seen one that's not a single shot I remember as a kid uh, I was at the you know you talk about you talk about a different world it was county fair and at the county fair the sheriff's department always had a, a big display of things and one of the things they had were the zip guns that they had uh, um confiscated and these things were all like kind of you know steel wire clothespin <laughs> you know uh, plumbing pipe type of technology I, I don't remember exactly how they were built or I couldn't really you know replicate one today but they were they were super crude um, made with with uh, obviously steel pipes that were not gun barrel quality and maybe some of them were even black powder type muzzle loaders I, I wouldn't even know but um, yeah they always had a big display of zip guns that were really crude and and of course you know this was a big thing like a big no-no but in actuality it was of course quite legal to make unless you were a criminal it's quite legal to make and possess a zip gun if you were a law-abiding citizen has been since you know probably the 1600s um you know people made have made firearms that's how remington got his start he just started making firearms so elifalit remington so anyway uh getting back to ghost guns 
there was an incident and and this is this shows you the the rot and corruption in our news media the rot and corruption in our politically correct society the rot and corruption in regards to race um and and usually i don't pay attention to race i mean i i my friends look like look like all kinds of people doesn't matter to me um however uh here was a situation um school shooting in olathe kansas near where i live big news on the day big news um a school resource officer and a assistant principal were wounded they weren't hurt badly they were as a matter of fact released the same day so I would assume that they got kind of grazing wounds and the student who uh, had a <clears throat> had some sort of a gun which they had first called a ghost gun but I haven't heard that thing reported and, and there's reasons why that hasn't been reported um, was shot more seriously injured and he was sent to the hospital and of course you know they had the the whole thing the the whole I, I hate to call it street theater and crisis actors but you know you have the kids blubber you know on it's on the news the kids are blubbering and uh, you know the parents or concerned parents are at the school you know throwing their arms around their kids and all that and, and all that is natural. You'd expect that to happen. I don't know that it needs to be exploited on the media, but it's certainly understandable. But anyway, as it all turns out, the two, as I said, the two adults who were who were wounded were only minor wounded. In, in spite of the, in spite of the initial reports that one was unknown, condition unknown, the other was in, you know, critical but stable condition, and you know all this other stuff. Turns out, you know, they, they walked, you know, they, they probably got bandaged up and walked. The perpetrator was a black student. And then as soon as that was known, this story has vanished. It has vanished. My only assumption is, of course, it doesn't fit the narrative that that it's some you know white kid who's been bullied and picked on and comes from a dysfunctional family and you know <laughs> and all, all the rest of it like like some of these other ones have been you know uh but this turned out to be a, a black kid who was an athlete who played football and ran track i believe you know um all the rest of it and apparently he was reported as having a gun some other students saw it they reported him they reported him and he was brought to the principal's office and i guess that's where he pulled it and started shooting and the school resource officer shot back so but like i said this is now vanished it's like it never happened like it never happened and that's primarily because of the race of the perpetrator and that is that is just heinous that is just heinous um, I don't like anybody who does something like that, regardless of what they look like or who they are, what language they speak, whatever. But it, it's amazing how it has just vanished. As had the accusation that he had a ghost gun. That has vanished also. Um, 
you know, why would you say something like that if you don't know the facts? And it's because the media has an agenda. Their agenda is that the more crime they can tie to a home-built or home-modified firearm, the better their chances of making those things quote illegal quote unquote in in scare quotes you know make it illegal you know because we don't need those things so they will lie they will put out misinformation simply to get their their point and and they've been doing this for a long time and they've been but they're doing it more and more and more when you listen to the news you're listening to this Joseph Goebbels propaganda and, and it starts at the very top look at that fool Jen Psaki you know um, she is she is an ass she's a liar she is completely dishonest I mean completely dishonest I mean blaming the oil companies for the fact that there's not enough oil when they won't let them drill and won't let them build pipelines. I mean, you know, just <laughs> it's just that simple. So um, you can't trust what you see in the media, and you certainly can't trust what a lot of government officials tell you. But that story, the school shooting, you know, has gone. Now, even if the, let's just say worst case, that one of those or both of those two adults had been killed, you still wouldn't hear anything about it you still wouldn't hear anything about it because the minute they got that kid's name and his picture the perpetrator and he was 18 years old so you can get it because he's legally an adult although I think that's a farcical assumption in today's society that an 18 year old is anything even approaching an adult um, unless you happen to find them at Fort Benning Camp Pendleton or the Great Lakes or, or wherever the Air Force does their stuff Unless you find them there, they're 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 not adults. <laughs> that's that's they certainly don't act like it. But anyway, this kid, he was 18. As soon as they saw his race, and as soon as they saw he was an athlete, which have become you know kind of the newer privileged class in our society for some un inexplicable reason. But um, for some inexplicable reason, this kid is a hero athlete, and and they drop this in a heartbeat and I will bet I will bet the next time we hear this will be down the road and there'll be some plea out where this guy does very little or no time I guarantee it I guarantee it and it's it's race-based and that's horrible absolutely horrible you know going back to the oil company and pipeline that I just mentioned you know is have you watched Biden he has completely he has degraded just since the campaign and and since his uh, um, you know debate appearances which you know I don't know what he was on but they they clearly have him on some regimen of drugs all this reminds me of is you know you got to go back into history there's you know star trek the original series has got a has got a um, episode called patterns of force and if you you know you can even look it up on google but if you can watch it i mean it, it it could be the joe biden story and basically it's about a leader who's 
on drugs and being manipulated by the people around him for the sake of the party and and all the rest of it um you know that is that is the joe biden story i'm sure he's on a lot of medication that they're not releasing i'm sure that they're they're doing all this and you know between him and the giggler kamala hair ass you know they could stumble us into world war three i mean they could start world war three you see the kind of person you're dealing with in putin he might just say hey man we will we'll take it all we'll do it all because he knows in the <laughs> what's going to be left of europe he might have enough power to to take over you know the the wreckage of of europe you never know you never know and those two fools cannot be trusted i mean harris when she's asked about you know we're kind of getting way off the the deal but she's asked about refugees and she starts laughing talking about a couple million people suffering if those people looked like her she'd be a lot more concerned and that should concern you if they were haitians or if they were you know hootsies and tutus and all the rest of it she'd be out there with the big serious face we can't allow this instead of just laughing she, she literally laughed so that's the kind of fools we have elected in government so um we have a senilic we have some sort of borderline fool racist and they cannot make decisions like they, they say the keystone pipeline doesn't matter they even had jen sucky put out a a stupid tweet it makes no sense biden started biden obama stopped that pipeline first trump started it again then biden started stopped it again if at very first biden obama had uh, allowed that to go through we would be reaping the benefits of that oil now and we wouldn't have the problems we have i don't know why i don't know how you can be such a hardcore environmental terrorist to think that energy dependence on somebody else is a good idea at all just not a good idea at all but you know the high gas pipe prices you know the liberal the libtard aristocracy you know the axis of evil of academia the corrupt news media and liberal politicians left-wing liberal politicians say it's a good thing uh but they're not single working mothers are they they're not somebody who's just out of school trying to get established has to buy a car has all kinds of expenses and now has a transportation bill that's that basically makes their life untenable they're not those people are they uh they're not the they're not the mom who's in suburbia who's got to manage a budget to feed her children get her kids to school and make sure that you know life goes on they're not those people they drive stephen colbert laughs about it says i'll pay 15 a gallon i'll drive an electric car <laughs> what kind of a moron says something like that what kind of elitist moron says something like that and then laughs and people laugh with him 
It's like, hey, I'll tell you this. If I'm making $16 million a year, yeah, I'll chip in a few extra. I'll pay $7 a gallon for gas because it won't hurt me. But for everybody else in the country, it seems to be who's, who's beneath that and, and who, who has an average income, lives an average life, which is a good life in America. An average life is a good life. Uh, you know, your, your quality of life, standard of living, is lowering right in front of your eyes because of inflation and because of gas prices. And the people who are in the White House are to blame, directly to blame. It's not Putin. It's not the oil companies. It is Joseph Robin Biden. Kind of a name is Robinette, anyway. Well, Robinette Biden. And you can go back to Hussein Obama and Jen Psaki and Camel Toe Harris. Hair ass. Those people are to blame. They are scum, they are swine, and they are unfit for anything. And as long as we're on the topic of stupidity, um, has any, you know, it, it's not realized that only the people at the top have realized, failed to realize that COVID is dead. COVID is over with. It's so over. Um, you know, they're failing. They've been failing for months to read the room and understand people are fed up with this shit and, it, and it's over. I mean, the cases have declined precipitously and all that. And yet you still see frightened people wearing masks and going around. And, and you know, it's, it's America. You want to wear a mask? Fine. Just don't force me to do it because this is America. You want to wear a mask? Great. You don't want to wear a mask? That's great, too. COVID is no longer a reason to wear a mask. I would assume that most of the people, not all, but most of the people who listen to this podcast are like me, NRA members, and I've been one, and I, my membership status is such that I can vote for the board. So this last one that showed up, the March 2022 American Rifleman, it's got that weird marlin <laughs> rifle on the i like the rifle except for the uh picatinny rail on it but anyway got my ballot and of course you have 30 people on the ballot of which you vote for 25 now i'm no master parliamentarian or master <laughs> of of mathematics and other things but you know it just seems to me that um if you've got to vote for 25 out of 30, um, you're not going to get change on that board, no matter who you vote for individually. And I won't tell you who I won't vote for. There's some well-known names on there I won't vote for. Uh, I can tell you what my criterion is. <clears throat> First of all, the guy I will vote for unreservedly is Willis Lee, who's the second vice president, or first vice president now of the uh, NRA. He is excellent dude former army guy um he does outstanding he's he is great uh i think that he is the kind of guy that we need he's he's reasoned but he's tenacious and he's kind of a fresh face on the whole thing who i will not vote for and you know on this ballot you don't have to vote for all 25 i guess you could vote for less but you know whatever it is it is 
I, I tried it. The, the bios they give you are fundamentally useless. <laughs> I mean, they, they can't help you make up your mind of which five will I not vote for or which ten will I not vote for. So I actually do my due diligence. I look them up on the internet. And basically any of the ones that are past 75 automatically don't get a vote. Sorry, you're, you're done. You're, you're done. You need to retire, hand the mantle on to, to younger people. So that's usually the first criterion. The next criterion is what I call the, the kind of the FUD syndrome. Um, you know, when I see that you're tied up with Safari Club International and it's all about wildlife and Ducks Unlimited, you know, anything that reads FUD to me, um, is usually something I'm not saying I won't vote for them, but I'm saying that 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 is another criterion because you know, hey, a lot of those people just care about ducks and geese and shotguns, or you know, hey, great, they get to go to Namibia and hunt you know, some kind of weird animal with you know, really crooked horns or something. Uh, they're, they're really not my people. I've met, I've met a lot of those people, I've met guys who were big-time Safari Club members and have hunted all over the world and everything, and to them, guns are unimportant. As long as they can keep that bolt-action 375 H&H Magnum, um, they don't care. I mean, and, and, and they know that that gun is going to be... what they, They're under the illusion that that gun is safe, and even if they're not completely under that illusion, they know it would be the last one to go. That's what they believe. And so they they don't really care, you know. They 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 sneer at somebody like me who likes to shoot military rifles, or likes to do other other things. So um, those kind of people I don't vote for. That's that's it. So that's my criterion. Um, the rest of it, I mean, unless you did hours and hours of research, um, it's very very difficult to understand who you're really voting for. And I think. Frankly, I think this is all constructed so that there can be very little change in the NRA. Um, you know, power has been consolidated. Nobody knows. I mean, I've been a member of it for a very, very long time. And when Charlton Heston was president, Charlton Heston was president. I've still got a bulk cap somewhere saying Charlton Heston is my president. <laughs> but... When Heston was in charge, you knew who was in charge. And since he's gone, nobody even knows who it is. I, I couldn't tell you who the current president is. I, I know they had one. What, who, what was her name? Carolyn Meadows. Who? She's not the current one. I think she was the last one. Um, number one, no one could ever find a picture of her holding a firearm, much less doing anything with one, like hunting or, or target shooting or anything. And the next thing was, she was like 80 years old. I mean, she, I think she was 82. And I'm sitting there going, oh, God, this is clearly a figurehead. This is clearly, does she even write the monthly column for the American Rifleman? And what, what, do they, what does the president really do in the NRA now? Uh, since Heston, uh, they, they write a monthly column, and that's it. And I sit there and, you know, I, I don't know. It's not so much the NRA that's a problem. It's the it's the 
just the whole environment of Washington DC where you know you're not going to come in as the president of the NRA as a guy who was a great target shooter and this that and the other thing and and all of a sudden now you're in a completely different environment doing completely different things um, I would sit there and say that you're a guy who's going to have to become you know you you need somebody who can move in those kind of circles and that's where I got back to the the whole LaPierre thing of well they're they're complaining about his wardrobe costs well there are a lot of places where you don't go in and I've said this a lot of times before you don't go in there with an off-the-rack suit you know and you know Walmart dress shoes you just don't do that you you have to have everything down to the right tie the right wristwatch all that stuff um, you know there's a difference in quality that those people know and see and if you walk in and you appear to be you know bargain basement if you dress like I do you know I got one sport coat in my closet and oh I also have a suit in my closet I have a suit I've worn it only once um, my sport coat's got a bunch of holes poked in it because I put my military medals on it so you know it's unless those medals are on it I can't really wear it anywhere um, but if you dress like me you don't get in to see the influencers and, and all those people who, who do that you you've got to dress the part and you have to have the you have to have the perks of the part too you know you fly they fly you around on a jet all the, all that stuff you know so now it's the the C, president and CEO or whatever Wayne LaPierre's title is. He is now in charge of the NRA, not the president, not the first vice president, not the second vice president, nothing. So I don't know, with the board the way it is and as many people as they have on it, the larger board, I've served on a couple of small boards, believe me, nothing high speed, stuff that's low speed, but I've served on a couple and the larger it is, the harder it is to get anything done. Just the way it is. Uh, smaller boards are a lot more agile and can, can react a lot more quickly and adapt much better. But larger boards are hard. So I don't know. Uh, I think pretty much people on the boards are just kind of kind of there. Very few of them really uh, want to stand out. When they do, they just get stripped of everything and then, you know, their committee assignments and all that. So it's pretty autocratic. So I, I just think that the uh, the elections are just a pain. Um, there's one guy I really want to vote for. Everybody else is just everybody else. Okay, now we'll get to my favorite part of this podcast, which is questions and answers. And they've been thin, but I've managed to scrape up a few. So... Here's the first one, and this was actually asked of me. It wasn't submitted, but it was actually a question verbally asked of me. It goes, do the easy cocking semi-automatic pistols, like the Smith & Wesson MP Easy, make your reasoning for a revolver moot? And the easy pistols are, are specifically somehow designed so that um, a person with moderate to low hand strength who has a hard time pulling back the slide on a semi-automatic pistol can pull these back much easier 
you know, the physics involved. I, I don't really know how that all works. I haven't really torn one apart. I've never actually even fired one because um, I don't need to. But um, just as a matter of, of curiosity, I've never I've never actually taken one apart or anything to see how they can get away with a, a lighter spring with all of the things being being equal um, and not compromising reliability that you will have failures to feed on the subsequent rounds because you do need a strong spring to push that slide forward I don't know how they get around all that I haven't seen the engineering so but I will say that my reasoning for a revolver for some a lot of people not only involved the hand strength but also involved that intuitively people know how a revolver works and and I went through this a couple podcasts ago you know they see it in movies they see it on TV they see it when they look at the gun they see the six they see it when they load the gun six cylinders the thing spins they get that you a neophyte a, a person new to guns basically understands how a revolver works innately as opposed to a semi-automatic pistol where you put you're putting um you know rounds into a box and then you push the box into a grip and somehow by pulling the top part back the round is going that does something to the round so it can fire you know to, to a person who's uninitiated in guns or mechanics you know that's a that's a very you know kind of difficult process to get your mind around a little bit you know after not it's not impossible it's not a huge barrier but it's still there and for somebody who's not going to commit a thousand percent um that's that works out well um you know it works out well to have a revolver that they innately understand i've known a lot of people who you know they ask me hey well what do you what do you do for hot well i, I like you well i and, and i told you this okay i have a 38 and he had no idea who made it he knew it was a 38 special he knew it had six shots but you know it's something he took out once a year kind of cleaned and looked at and he knew which drawer it was in so in case somebody broke in the house he could run and grab it i suppose um you know but that's as far as some people want to be involved with firearms so um for those people revolvers are usually a much better choice now you know the newer people you know a lot of the self-anointed experts are saying well a handgun for self-defense is a bad option that a pistol caliber carbine is better sometimes yes sometimes no um for in the home yep a, a long gun can have some advantages they're intimidating they you know have a lot of this but you also have to know what you're doing with it uh, even a pump shotgun is a you know how many times have you heard these horrible myths about shotguns like you don't need to aim it ooh that's a bad one or if they just hear it rack they'll stop what they're doing and they'll surrender well if you're going out after somebody you better have it racked ahead of time you know if you think somebody's in your house the minute you pick that thing up you better rack it because you don't have time to see the bad guy and if he starts swinging a weapon on you, then you're going to rack the thing and then fire? I don't know. Most people will probably have a problem with that. Um, and just the time it's going to take you is just something you can't afford. So, you know, you hear all these myths about shotguns especially. 
and they're out they'll be out there with a pistol caliber carbine you know it'll be well it's a great deterrent because they'll see it they'll know you're serious and blah 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 blah, blah. okay great inside the house though a revolver is a good gun to have it's portable you can grab it you can take it what i like about a revolver is or a handgun in general um, but this applies to a revolver is you know especially if i have like a sweatshirt or something on and i've gone down and this has happened this this has happened um you hear something you go down and you find out it's not a thread it's something else well you can stick that revolver in a pocket or you can hold it behind you or something else um, that's a very very good thing uh, one time I heard somebody pounding on my door and I went down and it was a police officer had I had a long gun or something I could not have instead I had a small 38 which immediately when I I saw the uniform it, it I, I had it kind of held behind me anyway and it just went into a pocket he never even knew I had it answered the door and was asking me if I'd seen something in the neighborhood you know just nonsense um, but you know aggressively knocking on the door hey, I didn't know who that was I, I you don't know if they're pounding on it and then next they're gonna they think no one's home and they're gonna start kicking it in I don't know but I don't want to go confront a police officer with a long gun in my hand I mean, I'll tell you that right now. You know, he could have... Let's just play this out. Police officer comes down... Or I come down. I have a shotgun. I see this looming large person backlit. And I can't really see who they are. Um, pounding on my door. I have a gun in my hand. All of a sudden, he could pull out he could pull out his weapon and shoot me. And just say, hey, look, you know, this guy had a... And... and this guy had a gun he was gonna come kill me you know he was obviously doing something illegal saw I was a policeman you know none of that would be true but you know how was that ever gonna play out in court um, or if I go down and let's just say there's pounding on the door I come around a corner and I see this big looming thing and I just blast well then you just shot a police officer who's knocking on your door I mean how does that how does that all work but if you have the revolver or the small pistol um, there is a, a way you could you can even just set it down if you had to you know if you come around a corner you see it's a police officer if you have a place to set it down that's good or you can hold it behind yourself whatever whatever it is you need to do so that you're not presenting a firearm to a armed police officer who's trying to do his job so there you go um, so I think a revolver is an excellent excellent gun people understand how it works there are a lot of people who own them who that's their only gun and uh, you know they take it out once a year maybe and shoot it maybe once every two years maybe they've shot it once or twice in the 10 years they've owned it but if they picked it up they know how it effectively works and at least at close range they could they could fire it whether they're good or not now I don't recommend this I don't say that's the the way to do it but that's just the way it is the way it the way to do it and the way it is are sometimes two different things and so that's it so a revolver is there all right I've rambled enough about that uh, which is a better revolver currently Colt or Smith and Wesson man that is one of the 
longest and hotly debated when I was a, when I was first starting to read gun magazines man that was a huge thing Colt versus Smith and Wesson and it gradually died out to revolver versus auto and then it migrated to nine millimeter versus 45 and you know I mean I, what they do now I don't know I don't really read that many but you know they used to you know argue back and forth and print about these things and um, so what I'll say is Smith and Wesson produces fine revolvers um, even today you know even though they've got that little lock thing on there that people call the Hillary hole um, they're still great guns uh, Colt produces some great revolvers too um, you know they've they've reintroduced pythons and now anacondas and, and they've got vipers and king or is not viper but king cobra and they got a few other things though you know they're they're back into the market predominantly in stainless steel i don't think they produce very few gun makers produce blue steel guns anymore if you notice that um it's either some sort of high speed finish you know one of these new kind of um uh, I, I would like to call it Cerakote, but it's usually some kind of finish like that. Industrial finish, I'll say. Um, it's usually an industrial finish, or it is stainless steel. Um, and there are a few blued ones. Uh, Smith & Wesson still does a few blued guns. Um, bluing is expensive. It has a lot of waste to it. It has to be... There's a certain amount of artistic... Um, talent that's required to do a good bluing job you know so it's a it's 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 a tougher thing to do and they like stainless steel because a stainless steel they just machine it and kind of polish it and it's done um, they never have to worry about refinishing the gun you know it's just it just become the deal one of the things that I find off-putting and I know the Python has it I assume the Anaconda does and if they uh, ever get smart and reintroduce the diamond back, I guess it will too. I don't like those QR codes that they put on the, the corner of the frame. I mean, just everything else I'm down with. The QR code, I'm like, no, please make that go away. Just stop it. Just stop it. Um, you know, 100 years from now, is anybody going to know or care what a QR code is? It's going to be a... It's, it's, they're, they're ugly they're stupid why would you put something ugly like that on a beautiful revolver like a python i do not know so anyway i give the uh i give the nod to kind of both of them they're both good but i think smith and wesson produces more models and more calibers so you know there you go that's that's what it is next question are dasa semi-autos like the beretta 92 and a few others dead and I would say as a design, as a design, I think they're at a dead end. I think they've, you know, they they basically were a great idea when they came out about 1930. They were a great idea. They're still a good idea. They're still a good idea. Um... But I don't think you're going to see any more new ones. You'll see the traditional ones. You'll see the Beretta for, a few, for for years. You'll see it for maybe another 10 or 15 years, I guess. Other other ones, um, what they really, the, the thing that's linked to that is, and the only thing that will keep it alive is, a lot of people, like me, like exposed hammers. So 
DASA has an exposed hammer for the most part. I know there are a few models that don't, but for, it, it normally has one. That's normally one of the features you see. So I like I like the exposed hammers. I think I just think they're more reliable. I mean that's just the way I think. But um, and I like the way they look. I like the way I can look and see the if the gun is what status the gun's in. So um, if people like exposed hammers, the design will stay around on some level. But will it ever be the predominant one in the marketplace? No, not anymore. Uh, better get used to. Service handguns are plastic framed internal striker. That's just what they are. Um, they are not worth, um, they just are not worth the, uh, <laughs> the type of, of uh, um, effort to make the traditional steel frame and all that guns. They're, they're that and they're semi disposable. At a certain point they wear out and they're gone. It's not like you know, I've got a Colt official police uh, revolver from 1944. It's not worn out. It's 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 around. And even if it even if it did have like a lot of internal wear, uh, I could replace those parts. I could even replace the barrel. But these guns, whether they be Glocks or Smith and Wessons or or any of the other myriad of of plastic framed guns. Um, at a certain point, they're going to wear out and they're going to be gone. They're just gone. That's just that's to keep it at a price point. And you know they've done a very good job with that. Uh, we sit there and you can criticize it all you want, but in sticking up for them, I will say that hey, you know they've got these guns at a really decent price point. You can buy these guns. Uh, you know a lot of these guns, depending on the model, depending on the features, and depending on you know how fancy you want to get. They go from what 450 to about 800 bucks. In that 350 dollar band, uh, you can go from basic to something that's that's a bit fancier and, and a bit better appointed. So uh, they've done a very good job with that, and they've been able to do that because their material cost in the frame is so much lower, and their their machining and and uh, finishing costs are so much lower. So. You know, it's been a good thing. And it goes back to what I said. How many people actually shoot a gun enough to wear it out? And the answer is uh, very few people do. I had a... Um, this is... This is just related to this. Um, you know what? I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it for the end. Okay, next question. Um, here we go. What will happen to the 30s super carry? I think that what I have dubbed the 30 stupid carry will become the next 45 gap, you know, Glock auto pistol. Uh, people will buy, they'll, they'll sell a few guns in it. What's going to happen is it'll be the new hotness. Optimistically speaking, it'll be the new hotness for about six months to a year. And then it just won't be around anymore. It just won't be that big a deal. And then they'll be selling the guns on CDNN for bargain basement prices. And a few people will buy them. And then when they, they basically come to their senses and stop making this thing, then the ammo will become harder to get. 
and you'll have to go to places that sell 45 gap which is not very many you know places that sell cartridges like that so that's what will happen to it it'll it'll have maybe often the best the best case for it is it has a popularity arc and then it's going to be a crash when people realize hey this is harder to get and a better bigger hassle than nine millimeter and it's not any better and as a matter of fact, as soon as a few tests come out showing that it's worse, um, it's it's basically done. Uh, it'll be just like the Ruger 5.7. Um, the new hotness for a while, everybody has to have one. And then guess what? COVID hits, ammo dries up, and now people are kind of saying, eh, you know, really, it's just a big fancy 22 pistol. So um, it, it'll have something like that. It'll have that big spike and then... Um, and then kind of crash and then it'd be gone so that's what's going to happen to the 30 stupid carry uh let's see are elmer keith's writing on revolvers still relevant and how about hatcher well when it comes to revolvers not a lot has changed in the last 60 years really i mean yeah you've had the 500 magnums and all that but you know the revolver still the revolver and what I will say is that reading Elmer Keith is probably the best background. If, you, if you're a revolver guy or you're interested in revolvers, reading Elmer Keith's Six Guns is about the smartest thing you can do. And it'll give you the grounding and you kind of get that. And, you know, then you can kind of evaluate the developments that have happened in light of that. Um, you, know, I, you know, you're not going to put an X-frame... 500 Smith and Wesson on your belt and carry it every day. You just you're not. As a matter of fact, most of the holsters I see for those are those chest ones that handgun hunters use because that's what it's really for. So you're you're going to see the chest rig deal, and that's just not a gun you carry around every day and use on your your uh, rural property or 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 however you know you you don't you don't drive around the city with that. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, you know to get a good background on practical usable everyday handguns yeah elmer keith is pretty good realizing that he's prejudiced against small caliber guns and he considers 38 special 357 magnum small um everything else is larger he considered the 44 magnum the the kind of the the zenith of handgun development which it was in his lifetime so obviously that's that's to be expected so you know he's it's it's pretty good a lot of it's pretty entertaining some of the stories you know going kind of going back to you know he was a young man you know it's it's amazing i hate to date myself but I, as a kid i read elmer keith's column and to think that this guy as as you look back on it now was he was in the national guard for world war one didn't didn't go overseas but he's a world war one he was a world war one era veteran something that's you know over 100 years now so anyway um very good and he had a lot of experience that frankly modern handgunners don't have anymore as far as hunting um large animals and and uh, doing all that so yeah he's very relevant uh, Julian Hatcher, if you ever get a chance to read the Book of the Garand, that is probably the best book ever written on the M1 rifle. Um, you know, I know that a lot of guys have have written books subsequent, but his is the original, and it's the best because he was there. He was actually there. Um, 
he also wrote another one hatcher's notebook yeah that's another one to to read that is a fantastic uh fantastically good reference book to use so i would uh, i would go after each one of those and say they're both they're both really good yeah and especially uh you know keith was really known as a real curmudgeon you know he was he was known for giving uh, the gun companies a lot of grief for some of the stuff they were doing um some of it justified some of it not but yeah he was definitely a character um hatcher would be, had been a general i think a major general so he's a bit more reserved and a bit more clinical um but they're both interesting guys and and any of those early gun writers we have not seen the likes of them since there's some there's some guys with good information out there now but they don't seem to have quite the flair that uh, the older gun writers did okay here's another one do you know anything about gun cards is it worth having one uh well i have a gun card it's it's one that i bought secondhand and it's it's a project it's it's got to be worked on a bit um kind of make it what i need it to be but uh depends on your sport i know the three gun guys used uh, the kind of the jogging strollers as a basis for gun parts gun carts and um you know it, it depends if the rules of your sport allow a gun to be transfer transported not transferred transported uh barrel down then those guys with the jogging carts and i think there are even some gun carts that are kind of based on the mechanicals of those um yeah those are those are fine they look pretty handy to me um the traditional gun cart um is something with like two big wheels and it kind of looks like a dolly if you will and it transports everything with the um uh, barrels pointed up and so if you have that um you know they can save you a lot of if as long as you've got a good cargo space and you know you can carry around the stuff you need they're they're very very handy um yeah so they're they can be worth their weight in gold because there's no there's really no substitute for it i mean when you're at a multi-gun match um hauling around gun cases and uncasing all that's all a, a hassle but the gun carts you know kind of make it a little safer too you know that people can see that the uh the guns are in there and what condition they're in and and all that and so there's there's a lot of goodness to a gun cart beyond transportation and a lot of guys customize them and make them look really really cool um they're hard to find though there are companies that make custom ones um you know and i'm not talking about this well the stroller ones and all that are there and, and you, you just buy those kind of off the shelf there are companies that sell kits i believe and there's some that um will build you one but you know you're talking some money you're talking three to i think three to five hundred bucks when i checked i bought a used one there was a lot less um guy hadn't used it in in uh, several years and was was getting out of the sport so um you know he was just kind of selling it and he didn't want much for it and it's in good shape it's it's entirely serviceable but it i want to make some changes to it so that it uh kind of reflects what i need it to do so that's the uh that's the word on gun carts um they're very good they say they'll save your back um they'll they'll make it easy to transport your stuff around on the range 
and uh, you can add a little bit of customization to it too that'll make it uh, make it really pretty cool so yeah that's the uh, that's the story there oh there's one more thing I wanted to talk about quickly which was um, you know when we were talking about you know DASA and and uh, all of the you know how long do the frames last and do people ever outshoot a gun um, one time I got into an argument with a guy who was he, he th fancied himself an AK guy and I don't know that I'm the greatest AK guy but I, I I know a bit about AKs and he was talking about how much better the uh, forged receiver AKs were than the uh, stamped uh, AKs and of course I, I tried to explain to him that hey you know the AK was originally designed with a stamped receiver the um, the Soviets just didn't quite have that technology barrier broken uh, even though they they had uh, you know had some captive German scientists you know guys who'd worked on things like the MP44 um, they didn't quite have that metal stamping technology down so they went to at the very beginning a milled receiver uh, AK which they replaced as quickly as they could with a stamped receiver model and Tula who produced them the factory at Tula uh, they did a they did a run and, and basically what they determined with a stamped receiver AK is that it would last a minimum and we're talking a minimum here of 330,000 rounds okay so the the BS story that the milled receiver ones will last longer than the other ones uh, it's just not true it's just not true um, the the stamp receiver ones have a of course a milled trunnion at the at the at both well both ends really but they have a barrel trunnion and you know that's really where all the all the action is that's where the bolt locks in and all that the the, the construction of the receiver just doesn't really matter and to put 330,000 rounds of rifle ammunition into perspective you figure an AK barrel let's let's just give it 15,000 rounds and that's probably being pretty generous but 15,000 rounds um, you're talking 20 barrels so <laughs> to, to completely wear the gun out um, you would you would have to go through 20 barrels worth and at the cost of 762 and this was 762 by 39 545 may be, last even longer I would assume it would actually um, 762 by 39 so 300,000 rounds 330,000 rounds would be 330 cases of ammunition which run about what 300 bucks a piece so that's like ninety thousand dollars worth of ammunition something like that does that I think that makes sense so you would have to go through 20 barrels and ninety thousand dollars worth of ammunition to wear out an AK so um, that is pretty impressive and that shows you that you know you don't always need milled and forged um, receivers to get a lot of life out of something so anyway 
that's just a fun fact to throw in. But that's it for this edition of Old School Guns. If you have any messages or comments, you can leave them for us in the comments section on Podbean, or you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com. That's kbmakel at aol.com. But until next time, this is Old School Guns, out. <laughs>